Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. Today, the Book Collector offers you Mrs. E. L. Dohini, Reminiscences of a California Collector, written by Ellen Schaffer and published by the Book Collector in spring 1965. The reader is Kate Rooksby. Southern California boasts three great rare book libraries, the Huntington Library in San Marino, the William Andrews Clark Memorial Library in Los Angeles, which is now a part of the University of California at Los Angeles, and the Edward Lawrence Doheny Memorial Library of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo. The first two were founded by men, but the third was established by one of America's greatest fambibiophiles. Before her death, Carrie Estelle Doheny had become almost a legend in the world of book collecting. Most collectors had heard of her, but few knew what her collections were, and still fewer knew Mrs. Doheny herself. Those of us who did cherish memories of a vital, warm-hearted woman. She was born poor, and she died possessed of many millions. She had few opportunities for education when she was young, and in later life she was honoured with academic degrees. She began collecting binding set with hand-painted miniatures, and she ended with the Gutenberg Bible. Carrie Estelle Betzold was born in Philadelphia on 2nd of August, 1875. At the age of one, she left her native city and never returned until she visited at the age of 50. Her early childhood was spent in Marshalltown, Iowa, and about 1890, when she was in her teens, her family came to Los Angeles. There was not much money in the family, and consequently, not much chance for education. However, she had a keen mind, charm, and a talent for organization, which more than compensated for lack of formal training. In later years, she apparently spoke little of the days before her marriage, but there is a delightful story, which might well be true, that she was a telephone operator, and her clear, vibrant voice so attracted Edward Lawrence Doheny, the man who had discovered oil in Los Angeles, that he made up his mind to meet her. He did, and they were married in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in 1900, and went to the Grand Canyon for their honeymoon. She was then 25, a vivacious and beautiful woman, and her husband was already a millionaire. Thereafter, she shared in her husband's activities. Usually where he went, she went. She has told of sitting in their car in the desert when it was a 100 degrees in the shade, while her husband was off tramping through the sand hunting for oil. They travelled incessantly to New York, to California and to Mexico. Mrs. Doheny made 40 trips to Mexico herself, and her husband made 60. Home was a mansion at 8 Chester Place in Los Angeles, but for years they maintained residences in New York and various other places, all of which Mrs. Doheny ran capably and efficiently, for she tolerated nothing less than perfection, and for a number of years she also managed their six California ranches. In the midst of these busy years came an event of paramount importance, her conversion to Catholicism. The Right Reverend Joseph S. Glass, Bishop of Salt Lake City, 
baptized her in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York on 25th of October 1918, and she embraced her faith with the warmth and energy characteristic of her. A full and active life led the Dohanys little time for books, although they both enjoyed them. Frequently, when they were in New York, they met at Brentano's at the end of a busy day, and after browsing through the shelves, would go home with their purchases and spend a quiet evening reading. They were not book collectors in those days, but they were book lovers. Eventually, prolonged illness forced Mr. Dohaney's retirement. Books then became a major interest of Mrs. Dohaney, an interest she could share with her husband. She began to collect sumptuous bindings set with ivory miniatures, such as she had admired in the library of William Randolph Hearst, most of which she purchased from a Los Angeles department store. Her favourite clerk in this establishment, Nana Dolman, turned to antiquarian bookselling and joined the staff of Dawson's Bookshop in Los Angeles, where she started to introduce Mrs. Dohaney to other types of books. About the same time, Mrs. Charles Wellborn, a friend of many years' standing, presented Mrs. Dohaney with two books which were to have a marked influence on her collecting interests. One was a four-edge painting, which delighted her, and the other was Merle Johnson's High Spots of American Literature. This bibliography, which appeared in 1929, opened up a whole new field to many people who were just beginning their book-collecting experience. High Spots gave them joy of collecting the familiar. 200 titles were listed, and Mrs. Dohaney acquired them all, with autograph letters of the authors laid in to boot. She even collected a second set of high spots for her daughter-in-law, the present Mrs. Lee Batson. Frank J. Hogan, attorney to Mr. Dohaney, was visiting in Los Angeles when these collections were being formed, and, eager that he should share in the pleasure she found in the book collecting, Mrs. Dohaney presented him with a copy of High Spots. He immediately began his own collection. In later years, Merle Johnson's High Spots came in for biting criticism. The High Spots had become sore spots, whose market had fallen, but in its justification, it can be said that this bibliography was the training ground for at least two leading collectors in their day. The Doheny collection of high spots, now on the shelves of the Doheny Memorial Library at St. John's Seminary, is the crystallization of a whole era of collecting, an entertaining era which should not be forgotten. In 1931, A. Edward Newton paid his one and only visit to Los Angeles. Compiling lists of collectible books was much in vogue, and Mr. Newton had made his own list of 100 good novels. To capitalize on his visit, Dawson's Bookshop gathered together as many of these first editions as could be readily found and placed them in a large display case. When Mrs. Dohaney who was planning a tea in Mr. Newton's honour, heard of this, she bought the case full. She was gleeful over having so many to show to A.E.N., and he, in turn, was flattered to have his list so highly regarded. The tea party was memorable, with various Los Angeles book lovers happily listening to A.E.N. pontificating while strolling about, completely unabashed and unimpressed by it all, was the singer John McCormack. 
Perhaps he was not impressed, but A. Edward Newton was amazed at what Mrs. Doheny, as a beginning collector, had been able to accomplish. Along with English and American first editions, she had begun to develop an interest in early printing, and she had already had several leaves from the Gutenberg Bible. With her rapidly expanding library came a need for a librarian. Shortly after the Newton tea, Mrs. Doheny added Miss Lucille B. Miller to her staff in this capacity, and the happy association between these two continued as long as Mrs. Doheny lived. While Mrs. Doheny was beginning her career as a book collector, I was beginning mine as an antiquarian bookseller. Mrs. Doheny made most of her purchases from Dawson's bookshop by telephone, and on occasion, Mr. Ernst Dawson, or Miss Geraldine Kelly, would visit her. When Miss Kelly went to Europe as the firm's buyer, I was given charge of the Doheny account. Every day I would send a selection of books. I marvel now at what was available then. And the day following, Mrs. Doheny would return in if she had decided not to keep. Her interests were expanding rapidly, and in the summer of 1931, her purchases averaged $1,000 a day. She was now collecting Californiana, and her love for rarities relating to her adopted state continued throughout her life. She had also discovered another list to use as a yardstick in collecting, the Grolier Club's 100 Books Famous in English Literature. The books selected interested her, and so did the idea of a club of book collectors. Presently, she sent me word that she would like to become a member of the Grolier Club. After a brief telephone conversation with a local member, Mr. John I. Perkins, whose books are now a cherished part of the Scripps College Library, I had to report to Mrs. Doheny that we had just encountered an insuperable obstacle. To this day, most of the book clubs seem to be eveless Edens. Mrs. Doheny never had a closed mind, but I somehow thought she had a little less enthusiasm for Grolier Club books after that. One day, as I was working in the bookshop, there came a sudden rush, a quick patter of feet, and a clear voice said excitedly, Mr. Dawson, Mr. Dawson, did you get my telegram? Then came a hearty laugh. A short, plump woman with bright dark eyes stood talking with my employer. It was Mrs. Doheny who on her first visit to the shop was thoroughly enjoying a joke she had played on Mr. Dawson. Our most important customer proved to be cordial, human, and very much alive. She moved with energy, and everything around her moved too. As her collecting interest developed, so did her contact with book dealers. Dawson's, which had sold her most of her high spots, was now supplying her with Californiana. Mrs. George M. Millard of Pasadena was selling her illuminated manuscripts, Incunabula, and the books of the Kelmscott and Dove's presses. One treasure acquired from her was the illuminated manuscript of the Ennead done by William Morris. Dr. Rosenbach, whose acquaintance she had made through A. Edward Newton, was urging her to seek out the world's truly great and notable books. Among dealers, Mrs. Doheny was becoming well-known on both sides of the Atlantic, and if Philadelphia's distinguished bibliophile was internationally known as Dr. R., California's collector had a similar distinction. 
From London to Los Angeles, dealers search for treasures for Mrs. D. Part of her book money came from a check she received from her husband each year on her birthday, a thousand dollars for each year. Mrs. Doheny saw to it that her birthday present was never forgotten. In fact, she has mentioned writing the check herself on occasion and then telling him about it. In 1927, the Dohanys financed the building of St. Vincent's Church, considered the most beautiful in Los Angeles, and five years later they joined with their daughter-in-law in erecting a library at the University of Southern California in memory of Edward Lawrence Dohany Jr. With the library, they presented the J. Greg Lane Collection of Californiana. After long years of invalidism, in which he was confined to a wheelchair, Mr. Dohany died in 1935, and after his death, Mrs. Dohany more than ever found companionship in books. Her philanthropic activities were also numerous. Honorary degrees were conferred upon her in recognition of her work, and in 1939 she was made a papal countess by Pope Pius XII. As she continued collecting books, she began to consider not only her present enjoyment of them, but also the future preservation and use. Eventually, she decided the most suitable place for them would be the recently established seminary for training priests for the Los Angeles Archdiocese, St. John's Seminary, located 50 miles north of Los Angeles in the little town of Camarillo. In October 1940, the library building erected in memory of her husband was dedicated. Its first floor and stacks accommodate the working library of the seminary, and Mrs. Dohany's books, manuscripts, and objets d'art are housed on its second floor, whose rooms she had planned herself and in them personally arranged her collections. The library is a graceful building whose warm pink tone blends with the green lawns of the seminary and the sparkling blue of the California sky. The entrance is patterned after that of the Sagrario of Mexico City's cathedral, in remembrance of the country the Dehanes loved. Camarillo was until lately a sleepy little pueblo by the Pacific, still dreaming of its Mexican yesterdays. Like the Huntington Library, the Dohany Memorial Library is moved from the bustle of a large city. After the library was opened, Mrs. Dohany continued to add to its holdings. In general, she acquired books for beauty and for significance. She had a feminine love of beautiful books. She never lost her delight in the four-edge paintings which had charmed her at the beginning of her book-collecting career. She became the owner of a collection of over 700 examples, which inspired the only book on the subject, Carl J. Weber's 1001 Four-Edge Paintings, for which she gave material assistance in both the editing and the publication. A person who had a collection of over 8,000 orchid plants in a greenhouse might be expected to collect flower books. The magnificent folios of Redoute, Berlez, Bateman and others found a place on her shelves. She acquired early printed books of significance such as the Fust und Schoffler Rationale of Durante, 1479, the fourth book printed in Europe. The Galacantius printed in Subiaco in 1465, the first dated book printed in Italy and the first edition of Thomas Kempis Augsburg before 1473. 
Her manuscripts combined both beauty and significance. The 10th century Lisbon Gospels, a 12th century Ambrioaster, and many fine books of ours. She had several exquisite little pierced books, whose entire text is formed by intricate cut-out work, such as the one made for Henri III of France. A superb Biblia Popperum, the Mains Bible of 1462 on vellum, the four great polyglots, and a magnificent Eliot Indian Bible were among her collection of some 100 Bibles. The bull of Pope Alexander VI, 1512, dividing the New World between Spain and Portugal, was one of her favorites in her Americana collection. Among manuscripts of the California collection were Father Junipero Serra's letter announcing his departure to found the missions of Alta California. Jose Ortega's account of the Indian uprising at San Diego in 1775 and the answer of 13 missions to a questionnaire on methods whereby they may partially finance themselves. A collection of Courier and Ives prints gave her much enjoyment, and by way of contrast, she made a virtually complete collection of the work of the 19th century English printmaker George Baxter. Another enthusiasm was the dainty work of Kate Greenaway, When Dawson's bookshop acquired the Louise Ward Watkins collection of Greenaway, Mrs. Doheny, accompanied by her librarian, Miss Miller, made one of her rare visits to the bookshop and purchased it. During the impromptu tea which followed, hastily prepared with one tea bag, which it felt was all we had, Mrs. Doheny made a remark indicative of her philosophy as a donor. My husband used to say, she told us, never follow a gift. She was a donor who, with her gift, gave the freedom to enjoy it as the recipient thought best. The library she had founded had her support and encouragement, but she made no attempt to dictate its policies. In her selection of books, Mrs. Doheny often consulted the late Robert O. Shad, curator of rare books at the Huntington Library, and she listened willingly to the suggestions of her librarian and various bookmen whose judgment she respected. In the end, however, the selection was always her own. She bought books because they appealed to her. Dealers found her an ideal customer. She knew her own mind. If she saw a book, she knew whether or not she wanted it. She made decisions quickly and abided by them. I never knew her to return a book once she had purchased it, and her bills were always paid immediately. The catalogue of her library, printed by Ward Ritchie, which appeared in three volumes in the years 1940, 1946, and 1955, shows the growth of her collections, which finally numbered some 7,000 printed books and 1,300 manuscripts. The introduction to the catalogue gives a history of the library. But the library always brings me back to Mrs. Doheny herself. She was energetic and sparkling. She laughed readily. With her competence, she could have excelled in many fields. Her librarian felt she could have been an excellent actress, and toward the end of her life, she must often have played a role to reassure those around her. There was a hearty exuberance in her enjoyment of her wealth. She had a strong sense of possession, and it was pleasant to have the finest and best that money could afford. She liked to show her treasures and have them admired. 
She had a frank appreciation of their worth, but she regarded her wealth as a responsibility for which she was accountable to the God she adored, and she tried to use it with generosity and wisdom. While she added to the library at St. John's Seminary, she did not forget other institutions. The University of Southern California received occasional gifts, as did the Henry E. Huntington Library and the college libraries of Maculate Heart, Mount St. Mary's, and Scripps. She presented three sets of the Complutensian Polyglot to institutions of her choice, and when the magnificent reproduction of the Book of Kells was issued in Switzerland a few years ago, she bought 25 copies and had given 15 of them to various libraries at the time of her death. Visiting bookmen were always overjoyed to receive an invitation to tea at Eight Chester Place, although some of them were doubtless surprised to find that tea meant exactly that. No alcoholic beverages were ever served at Mrs. Doheny's, but her abundant teas were memorable. August 2nd, the feast of Our Lady Queen of the Angels of Portuncula and the name day of the city of Los Angeles was her birthday. And perhaps remembering the birthday checks her husband used to give her, she celebrated it by remembering her staff with generous checks. On her 68th birthday, as she knelt at morning mass, a sudden hemorrhage from one eye occurred which left it blind forever. The other eye was affected by glaucoma and its vision became very limited. This tragedy she accepted with little comment. She once remarked to Rose Kelly, her nurse and companion for many years, that it was better it should have happened to her than to someone whose eyesight meant her livelihood. In her concern for others, she established the Estelle Doheny Eye Foundation with its research laboratory and eye bank. One Sunday, when I heard Mass in her private chapel, the gospel was of the blind man with his piteous appeal, Lord, that I may see There were tears in the eyes of her guests who heard Mass with her, but none in hers. She had accepted her lot and was completely absorbed in her devotions. In spite of her handicap, she continued to collect, although only faintly able to see the books she loved, and during these later years, she made some of her most notable acquisitions, among them a document signed on 12th of July, 1776, by six signers of the Declaration of Independence, Button Gwinnett, John Hancock, Robert Morris, Francis Lewis, George Reed, and Arthur Middleton. One cherished hope was that she might someday acquire a Gutenberg Bible. In 1947, the Old Testament, in contemporary binding, appeared at the Dyson Parent sale, and in spite of a generous bid, she lost it. Mingled with her disappointment was a firm conviction that an opportunity would come again. She had heard that the General Theological Seminary in New York considered selling their copy and made them an offer, but after deliberation the Board of Trustees unanimously declined to part with it. One morning, in 1950, a letter from England arrived on her desk, and with rare casualness, the firm of Magsbros inquired if she was still interested in the Dyson parents' copy. Her answer was a transatlantic phone call. Her Gutenberg Bible was the first to be flown across the Atlantic, and on the 10th anniversary of the opening of the Tohaney Memorial Library, she held the long-desired Bible in her hands 
and even with her failing vision could appreciate its beauty. It was her decision not to make her ownership of the Gutenberg Bible known until such time as the final volume of her catalogue appeared, and the secret was well kept. Shortly after she purchased the Bible, David Randall of Charles Scribner's Sons offered her the Schuckberg copy, which had just been discovered in England, and was amazed when she declined it. In 1953, he again offered it without success. When he found a buyer in Arthur A. Houghton, Jr., he proposed selling her the Houghton Volume 2, which had been turned in on the Schuckberg copy, little knowing that this would give her a complete Gutenberg, although in dissimilar bindings. Once more she refused. The reason was that she was completely satisfied with what she already had. She told her librarian she felt the first volume of the Bible in its original binding and in perfect condition was altogether suitable for her small library and that would be out of proportion for her to spend many thousands for a complete Gutenberg. She never regretted this decision. The last of her life was spent much in retirement. In her own familiar surroundings she moved with assurance, but she seldom visited the institutions she befriended. Instead, when they had celebrations, she sent as her emissary a bowl of tightly budded roses. Her generosity was not limited to institutions. Many a person was helped financially, some for a particular project and many regularly. Often with her checks would be little encouraging note to which she would add, and I'll pray for you. She did, too, and considered the prayers quite as important as the checks. The Zamorano Club of Los Angeles, another group of masculine book collectors, had long yearned to see her library, and she finally gave a memorial party for them. They made the 50-mile trip from Los Angeles, were welcomed by Archbishop, now Cardinal, McIntyre, and the librarian, the Reverend James Richardson, C.M. Robert O'Shad of the Huntington Library gave the first talk ever made on Mrs. Doheny as a collector. They were impressed with her library, as were the antiquarian booksellers, whom she entertained on another occasion. Unfortunately, she was unable to be with her guests, but they glimpsed something of her personality through her books and the setting in which she had placed them. Occasionally she would invite a group of us who had been associated with her book-collecting activities to lunch. Dorothy Bowen of the Huntington Library, Dorothy Drake, librarian of Scripps College, Caroline Anderson of the Anderson Ritchie Press, and Geraldine Kelly Kirby, Marjorie Freeman, and myself, who either were or had been members of the staff at Dawson's. Her finest china and linens appeared on the table, since she knew we admired them, and her reminiscences of her acquisition of them and of her books were worthy of a tape recorder. One of the people befriended my Mrs. Doheny in later years was a young poet and printer, William Everson, who entered the Dominican order and became Brother Antoninus. It was his dream to print a Latin Psalter to commemorate, in 1957, the 500th anniversary of the Psalter of Fustenschufer, and she advanced the money for the purchase of the handmade paper he required. With a cumbersome hand press and type borrowed from the Grabhorn Press, the same type used in their leaves of grass, 
He began his work in 1951 and succeeded in printing 48 copies of the first 50 psalms before his increasing duties made it impossible to complete the work. He then appealed to Muir Dawson, a partner in the bookshop and himself an amateur printer, to see if what was finished might be preserved. When Mrs. Doheny heard of this, she offered to undertake the publication of the completed portion of the Psalter and present it to institutions. Brother Antoninus wrote an introduction explaining how he came to print the Psalter, and Robert O'Shad wrote of Mrs. Doheny's part in the project. These two prefatory articles were set in harmonizing type by the Plantain Press of Los Angeles and Harold Chiboulet of the Lakeside Press Bindery in Chicago, bound the 48 copies in full Morocco. The work was completed in 1955. No collector of fine printing could see the Psalter of Brother Antoninus without wanting it. I was eager to have a copy for the Free Library of Philadelphia, where I was now rare book librarian, and I finally wrote asking if I might borrow a copy for an exhibition we were having. I am sure the obvious stratagem amused her. A few days later, the telephone in my office rang, and across 3,000 miles came her clear, strong voice. Laughing heartedly, she told me she would give me this altar, and I could give it to the library. Thus, she not only presented the book, she gave me the exhilarating pleasure of being a donor, too. It was the last time I was to talk to her, Her voice, which had been my first recollection of her, was to be my last. During 1958, her health failed. She rallied for one last happy birthday and died about three months later on 30th of October. To those of us who began our book collecting experience with her and watched her library grow, her death marked the end of an era. Something spacious and generous seemed to go out of our lives. And yet the Doheny Memorial Library, which she called her Little Jewel, and loved more deeply, perhaps, than any of her other benefactions, is only beginning its work. As it grows, it will more and more take on the strong and gracious qualities of the warm-hearted woman who founded it. That was an appreciation of Estelle Doheny, written by Ellen Schaffer, and read by Kate Rooksby. Did you enjoy that podcast? If so, you simply must subscribe to The Book Collector at www.thebookcollector.co.uk Only £70 for a whole year. That's cheaper than Netflix. For that, you'll receive our splendid quarterly issues filled with erudite articles, reviews, book news, auction results and more. At the same time, you'll be able to browse our vast digital archive at your leisure. That's nearly 70 years of bibliophilic treasure. www.thebookcollector.co.uk is the place to find us. Don't delay. Subscribe today.